Alhamdulillah, you all heard the recitation of the Qur'an al-Kareem from Imam al-Haramain, Imam Sudais. One problem with this program is apparently it does not give you the verse numbers. Uh, but if you watch very carefully over here, so this, it's not giving you the verse number here, it's not giving the verse, it's giving it to you right here. Okay, so this is where you have to watch to see when I say what verse I'm on, alright? So on verse number 83, we have the third question I mentioned to you in the beginning that... Uh, the, the Kufar of Makkah Mukarramah sent some people to the Jews to ask them what is it that we should do about this Prophet and they said that you should ask him three questions one was ask him concerning the Ruh right the second was ask him concerning the Ashab Al-Kaf and the third was ask him about Zul Karnain and so now in the Surah Surah Al-Kaf Allah SWT is mentioning the final and last question which is this issue so verily they ask you they ask you about Zul Karnain and the Prophet says that I'm just about to recite to you an account of him. Right? Uh, this is just means sequentially that he's going to recite these verses. Allah SWT is going to reveal these verses to him. Zulkarnain very quickly is going to be mentioned as an individual who travels all the way to the west. This will be described as to the place that the sun sets into the blackest of springs. Then he will travel all the way into the east. Then he's going to travel into a third place, which is a valley in between two mountains. And then, right, in each of these three places that he goes, Allah subhanahu is going to mention either a little bit, or either very little detail, or either a lot of detail, and that's what we want to watch over here. And specifically, it also comes in a deep that it wasn't just asked to the Prophet, who is Dhul-Karnain? But he was asked, who is Dhul-Karnain? Who are the uh, Jaj and Majuj? And where is the wall? But this is coming, if you follow the translation, then you would understand that these are things that are about to come. The first thing is that there is sometimes a misunderstanding that some point somewhere, some Mufassir must have come up with this, and this is extremely am misunderstanding that Zulkarnain is Alexander of Macedonia, sometimes referred to Alexander the Great. Alexander of Macedonia was a tyrant who, and an oppressor whose advisor was Aristotle. So this is not, Zulkarnain is not Alexander of Macedonia. Okay? Uh, neither are Yaj and Majuj, the Tatars or the Mongols. This is a totally different thing. It's not to be found anywhere. And I will show you why. I will show you certain things that are going to be mentioned about Zulkarnain that make it clear that it cannot be Alexander. And certain things that are going to be mentioned Yaj and Majuj that make it clear that they are not uh, the Mongol hordes that descended on the Muslims of the Tatar invasion. Dhulkarnain was a person, uh, according to the Tafsir ibn Kathir, that he was a Nabi. Not only was he not Alexander, he is actually a Nabi of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He was a prophet. And his advisor, far from being Aristotle, his advisor was Khizr, <laughs> anhu. Right? So this is mentioned in Tafsir ibn Kathir. And that is the rapt why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chosen to place the story of Dhulkarnain after the story of Khizr, was because Khizr anhu was his mushir. Right? So that also shows another role of Khizr, that on the one hand he was acting independently of a Nabi, Sayyidina Musa salam, and later he actually becomes an advisor to a different Nabi, which is Dhulkarnain. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that surely we gave him power on earth and gave him means to have وَأَتَيْنَاهُ مِنْ كُلِّ شَيْءٍ سَبَبًا now, this is also something that is very clear in this verse, that Allah subhanahu uses the word kulli shay, right? It does not literally mean each and everything. Sometimes people misunderstand this, and they see other places in the Quran, Allah subhanahu mentions the Prophet has been granted kulli shay, 
Kulli Shay is not being taken literally. Obviously, Dhul Karnain did not have the ability, for example, a suburb to make an atom bomb, or a suburb to make a space shuttle, or a suburb to make so many things. Right? So Kulli Shay, although literally means everything, here it means every single thing that was in the orphan adat of his age what was in the reach of science and technology of that time, and what is in the reach of a human being at that time. There's no anybody can try to establish from this that Zulkarnain had ilm al-ghayb, or he had all of the ilm. Absolute power is only granted to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that is also mentioned here by this keyword sabab, that even that, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala simply gave the means, right, to Zulkarnain to get these things, and this minkul nishay is everything that was of his time within the reach of human beings, of his time. But that nonetheless, right, that is an incredible thing that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given him, right? And then you will see that there are certain anbiya that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala raised in a state of extreme economic hardship, like Sayyidina Rasulullah, he saw some Sayyidina Isa alayhi salam, and the other anbiya, like Sulaiman alayhi salam and Dhulqarnayn alayhi salam, that Allah ta'ala is giving incredible bounties, incredible provision, incredible mulukiyah on this earth. So they were not just prophets, but they were kings. So Dhulqarnayn means to use a sort of an English word. So Dhulqarnayn is also a king, much like Sayyidina Sulaiman was also a king. So he took one of these asbab. If now Allah Ta'ala is using sabab in a particular way, it is a sabab to travel the whole world. He is going to travel, if you will, the four corners of the world. So he took use of one of those asbab that Allah Ta'ala had given him to travel. Now where is he going to go? Number one, until when he reached the point of sunset, he found it setting into a miry or really you would better maybe translate it into a black spring. Now what does this mean? Now obviously the sun does not set into water. So the notion here is he traveled to the western, farther, farthest most western reaches and he probably reached some horizon. And he saw that when the sun, and I've explained to you before once in the, using the word aswad, that a large body of water looks black. When you look at the surface of an ocean, if you're going on a very large boat and you're on the ocean, you look down, it looks like it's all black, right? And why would Allah want to use the word spring, right? Ayn. It could be that because as far as Allah SWT is concerned, these oceans are just little springs, they're little ponds. It's for us that they seem like vast bodies of water, but for Allah SWT, even this is just a little spring of water that He has created on earth. So He reaches this westernmost place, and He finds a people near it. So this is, if you will, the notion of traveling and discovering. We said, Allah SWT said, this is one reason why He's being mentioned as a Nabi. You see, it's very clear here that... He is receiving the kalam of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He is directly being addressed by Allah. That is the sifat of a Nabi. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, Ya Dhul-Karnayn, either punish them if you want to, or adopt good behavior with them. Do adab of them, right? Or you can do husn with them. Now Allah thought this is something that a Nabi does, right? A Nabi is the bringer of punishment, the bringer of glad tidings. And punishment and glad tidings can only be based on one thing, and that is accepting the risala, the nabuwa, the tawheed, the teachings of that nabi are not. There is no other basis on which adab can happen. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't just give some random king. He would not tell, I mean, imagine Allah ta'ala does not address Alexander of Macedonia and tell him that you may punish people. This is not an ikhtiyar that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives worldly human beings. This is a nabi and the notion of punishing and husn has to do with the with the message of Tawheed and Deen that he's brought, and like any Nabi, what does he do? He says that as for those who do wrong, 
reject this message of Tawheed and Risalat that I've come with, reject the teachings of the deen, we shall punish them. I will decree that there should be punished for them and they will be sent back to their Lord. So the notion here then is that actually they will be afflicted with capital punishment, the people who reject his message. And he, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, will punish them with an even more severe punishment, right? For your adhibhu adhaban nuqla. Nuqla here means very manifest, very stout, severe type of punishment. And as for the one who believes right, righteously, right? And you see the same words being used here. It's a common thing in Anbiya. For the Mu'mineen, Allah Ta'ala used, وَالَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَأَمِنُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ Here, وَأَمَّا مَنْ آمَنَ وَأَمِنَ الصَّالِحَاتِ The same thing. Iman and amal salih This is the message that all the Anbiya have been bringing. So as for that person who has Iman and his amal salih right? Then he will have husn in this world. And... What is Sayyidina uh, Wazukarnayn uh, saying is that we will also speak to him with ease. Right? This is maybe not the best of English, but Lahu min amrina yusra. That we will guide him further onto the teachings due to his iman and his amal salih. We will guide him further to our revelations, further our teachings. We will ease him fully and further into the deen. And this is exactly the way the Prophet ﷺ did in the beginning. When he first made his da'wah, those people of Makkah Muqarramah accepted him. Then with ease and with beauty, he guided them further and further, deeper and deeper onto the deen. Okay, before I get to this one thing I missed, is that why is it called Dhul Karnayn? Many people have recorded different views. And again, here people have come up with all types of random views. Some even suggesting that he literally had horns growing out of his head. No need to take that literal position. The word karn means horn, and the word karn also means century. So there have been several ways the Mufassirin have understood this. One, if they took karn to mean century, that he ruled, this rule of his, his nabu and his mulukiya, his prophethood and his kingdom, lasted for 200 years. Very possible because elsewhere in the Qur'an al-Kareem, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions that Nuh alayhi salam lived for 950 years. So you have a notion that previous anbiya lived longer lives than perhaps your and my current life expectancy. Second is that if you take the word karn to mean horn, then uh, one meaning of that is that karn refers to the two karns means the two places east and west. Right? Just to the west, I'm about to do east. The most literal, the closest to the literal that people have accepted is that he wore a crown. And the nature of the crown that he wore was something that had two horns. Some suggest even that he wore an imama. And the two, these are known as shimla, that these two things were the two horns. Because Sayyidina Musa salam used to wear his imama such that these two used to fall on the sides. Sayyidina Rasulullah taught that you should wear them both on the back. Musa wore them on the sides. If you ever see or meet an Orthodox Jew, you will see that they have squiggly long hair as their sideburns. That is their hila. That rather than wear a turban with those shimlas, they grow their hair long and squiggly it. And they have these little things here, uh, which is actually supposed to have been the tails of their imama. So perhaps that he wore the imama because he shortly after, as you can see, Khizr, met both. He's shortly after Sayyidina Musa salam, and therefore he was wearing that same imam. Okay? So not a being. Right? People love to have these fanciful mythical beasts and this is some Alexander the Great type being with two horns out of his head. No! This is a Nabi of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala either ruling for two centuries Lord, or ruling over Nabi and, and king of the east and west right? and or this notion of imam. Next then he took another course and now he's going to go east until he reached the point of sunrise which is the ultimate station of the east. Right? This is a kinaya. And he went to the easternmost part 
of the, of the world. He found that sun rising over people for whom we did not make any shelter against it. What does it mean that there were people who lived in the open? They did not have dwellings. They were not covered. They were not living in places which had roofs. Perhaps the reason for this was that maybe their, the climate they were living in was very cold, so they were living out and exposing themselves to the sun. Now, interestingly, when you see this, right, when Allah subhanahu wa mentions this, that's it. There's no more details on nothing. Thus it was, Kadalik. Allah subhanahu wa does not mention anything about those people. Were they mu'min? Were they believers? Were they unbelievers? What happened to them? No more fully, uh, no more mention of that story. Then Allah subhanahu says that, وَقَدْ أَحَتْنَا بِمَا لَدَيْهِ Right, that our knowledge fully comprehends whatever he had with him. In other words, Allah subhanahu wa knows best. Allah subhanahu wa sometimes leave these details out as a sign to both the mu'mineen and those mushrikeen who are asking this question. Right, that Allah subhanahu wa is not going to deign to give you all of the details of every question that you asked. So we have no information. There's no mention in hadith either about these people on the east. Then, uh, Zulkarnain moves again. And he travels again, picks another course of direction, he reaches this valley. Until when he reached between the two mountains, which is the valley, right? And he found them in people who were almost a, unable to understand anything said. What does this mean? Now the word here used is very key, yafqahun. This is the word in the Qur'an al-Karim used for understanding, fiqh, tafakkuh. This word in the Arabic language means to understand. It is used in the Qur'an al-Karim for understanding, wahi, for understanding risala. So this is the group that they could not do tafakku of what he was trying to tell them. What does this mean? Some people suggest that they were kind of a barbarian type group who had been living in that valley, some type of nomads, barbarians, stone age type people who were very rudimentary, mental capacity, right? And another reason is that, another reason people they were not able to understand because they were terrified of something. So I'm about to show you, right? And the terror of that phenomenon was so dominant on them that they just could not write, they didn't even if they were so scared and so much in terror, that they could not even listen to Dhul Karnain or listen to the message of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he brought. And what was that? They addressed him and said, oh Dhul Karnain, look, whatever you're saying and whoever you are and whatever rub you're calling us to, we just, we can't even, we can't even have to fuck of that right now. There's this group. Now, not necessarily to use the word tribes, right? But Baral Ya'juj and Ma'juj, and they're Mufsidun, they're doing fasad. Right? And remember this word fasad because Allah Ta'ala uses the word fasad elsewhere, especially in Surah Baqarah, right? For the unbelievers, the kuffar of, of Makkah Mukarramah. That they are doing fasad, they are mischief makers, a very light translation. Fasad means they are spreading sedition, they are spreading terror on earth, they are spreading horror on earth. So should we assign a task for you, right? Not tax, it should be task for you. No, uh, should, we would like to give you money, right? On the condition, we would like to pay you. We'd like to hire your services. Why you're obviously an extremely mighty king and the fact that you have been traveling east and west and even managed to come here. You have asbab, right? Or perhaps Zulkarnain had already mentioned to them this teaching that Allah Ta'ala has given me asbab min kul shade, the means to make use of everything on this earth. So they said, okay, well first thing we need is we want you to make a uh, sadda, which means a wall, a barrier, something, a hile between us and them. So he says, Zulkarnayn uh, says that what my Lord has already given in my control, right? What Allah, so he says, he makes it clear that whatever I have, whatever you see about me, is not my own. This is the way a Nabi behaves, right? That whatever has been given, Rabbi, from my Rabb. But whatever my Rabb has given me, right, is khair, is better. 
is better for me, whatever maqam my Rabb has given me, whatever status my Rabb has given me, is better for me than any money you ask me. Anbiya are not for hire. However, since we are, Anbiya are there to stop fasad, and perhaps if I do this for you, right, and perform a miracle, other Anbiya perform miracles for the people that they were doing da'wah on, right, in order to win them over. So he says that, okay, I will go ahead, right, and I will make this barrier between you and them, that you will have to give me some labor to do so, because this is a physical act. Then it's mentioned that, okay, that uh, this iron was brought, and the iron was brought as bricks, pieces of iron. You can imagine that it's a wall, some barrier, some structure, rather, that is going to be made of bricks made of iron, right? And they kept doing so, when they leveled up the gap between the two mountains, then he said, blow Blow, the Mufassirin suggested he used some, they must have had some ability themselves, right? Maybe some blow horn, something like a furnace, and they melted that iron. When that melted that iron, right, that it melted into itself. Then he said that bring me molten copper and I will pour it upon this. So they poured copper on top of that to fill the gaps. Now this became obviously, one can imagine what an impregnable wall or barrier structure has been made. It's made of iron and whatever gaps are left have been filled with copper. Right? It's also smooth. And because it's an iron surface and metal is extremely smooth, it's unscalable. Right? For anybody who's trapped behind that side of the wall to come up with a means to come out of it. So he used these asbab, his means, and also their labor to create this barrier. So what happens, Allah Ta'ala makes it clear that Yaj and Ma'juj are not able to climb it, nor are they able to make a hole in it. Right? This I already mentioned too. This is pretty self-explanatory. After he makes it, look at the other. What does he say? Qala, هذا رحمة من ربي. And I showed you this is the adab. The same adab that Khizr had, same adab that the Anbiya had. And when they do something good, they don't attribute it to themselves. Right? They say that the ability to make this structure, this structure itself is a rahma from my Lord. So know that, that you asked for this, right? And I did it for you. This is a mercy from my Lord. So you should accept that rahm whose rahmat has just been manifested upon you and has given you this structure that again... Uh, they are not able to, You're, these pe- these beings, humans by the way, this is another misconception that Yaj and Majud are also some type of beast. I'm also, wait, when that ayah comes, I'll prove to you that they're human beings. This human, that's why the, this translator inserted the word tribe. These human groups of Yaj and Majud who are terrorizing you, right, they're not able to climb it, not able to make a hole in it, you are finally an aman from them, right? However, know that when the promise of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Rabbi comes, when the promise of Allah comes, that Allah will level this wall. There's Allah alone. This structure, this barrier, this wall was built only through the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah Himself is going to destroy and level this wall. And then He says, وَكَانَ وَعْضُ رَبِّ حَقًا Verily the promise of my Rabb is true. This is the way that Nabi talks, right? And part of the haqqaniyat of that wada is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chose to include mention of this in the Qur'an al-Kareem. Right, so go back historically, this is Dhul-Karnayn saying this. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is doing tawthiq, He's making it even more clear that truly this is haq by choosing to mention it in His Qur'an al-Kareem, in His Divine Kalam, in the Lawhul Mahfuz. Now, when is this going to happen? Right? When is this promise of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala going to happen and this structure is going to come down and when the structure comes down, the same group of Yaj and Ma'jud, obviously their ancient generation descendants are going to come out. And on that day, right, now this is what? That day, we will leave them surging over one another 
and the horn shall be blown and we shall gather them together. Immediately after the zikr of the breaking down of the wall, Allah Taala mentions the Day of Judgment. Why? Because the breaking down of the wall is mentioned as a sign of the Day of Judgment. So let's go now look at some of the hadith commentary because alhamdulillah on this portion also you have several ahadith in Muslim and Bukhari. In the hadith of Muslim, the Prophet mentioned that the Day of Judgment will never come until ten signs occur. And this is a major teaching of any religion which is what they view to be the end of time and what the signs are of the end of time. Again, there are many, many ahadith about this we are only going to, but many things are going to come up that we may not be able to address today. Right? Number one, is that people will be swallowed by the earth in the east. Number two, people will be swallowed by earth in the west. Number three, people will be swallowed by earth in the Arabian Peninsula. This is all one hadith in Sahih Muslim in which the ten times are being mentioned. Number four, a smoke, a dukan, some smoke or cloud of smoke, some may call it smoke, some may view this as fog or mist, will spread over the earth. Number five, Dajjal will appear. Number six, Damatul Ard, which is literally translated as the animal of the earth, or the creature of the earth will come out. Number seven, Yaj and Majuj will escape. So this is mentioned, number seven sign of the hadith is one of the signs of the coming of the Day of Judgment, as that these two communities of human beings will be able to escape the wall. How Allah SWT Himself is going to bring that wall down. Okay, number just to show you, number eight, sun will rise in the west. Number nine, a fire will emerge from Aden, which is a place in Yemen, right? And number ten, Sayyidina Isa salam, the Nuzul of Isa, the second coming of Jesus, that Jesus salam, Isa salam, will come back to earth. This is also to show you that this is something that in Aqidah that is mentioned in the Quran, mentioned in Sahih Hadith, anybody who denies the second coming of Isa salam, has denied such a fundamental Aqidah or tenet of belief in Islam that it puts them outside the fold of Islam. Alright? Here, then, in another hadith, also pertaining to this, also in Sahih Muslim, about Yaj Majuj, the Prophet said that after the Jaw will be killed by Sayyidina Isa, so we get some idea of the sequence, that when, in these alamat of Qiyamat, when will the Yaj and Majuj be released? So the Prophet said in Sahih Muslim, narrated, uh, that after the Jaw is killed by Sayyidina Isa, Allah Ta'ala will reveal to Isa, that, Ya Isa, O Isa, I am about to release such a horde of human beings that no one will be able to successfully fight against them. And that horde of human beings is mentioned as Yaj and Ma'juj. And therefore Allah Ta'ala says to Isa Islam to take all the believers to Mount Tur. Oh, the famous Mount Tur of York. Right? Take it. What does that mean? That means that this is some strange type of human beings. And this also shows that victory comes from Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. That same Isa Islam who just got victory over Dajjal, who is the most deadly of humans and is going to lead the most deadly of human forces. That same Yisrael is being told by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that you will not be able to get victory over this Yaj and Majuj who are going to be released as a scourge upon the earth and therefore you should retreat to the mountain of Dur. The Khair then, Yisrael right, and the Mu'mineen will go and do that. Then, the Hadith continues that when they're there, Yaj and Majuj, what they do is they go and they start killing. They're fisad. They were, they were doing, they're the same Mufsidun that they were way back when these people who Dhulqarnayn met them. And they spread Fisan all over the earth. And then Isa and the Mu'minin say, I mean, okay, what's left is Mount Tur. So then they make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Ya Allah, they have spread Fisan all over the earth. Now it's just a matter of time that they would come and discover us. So Isa make a dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then, right, issues from his own hukam, issues the death of Yaj and Ma'juj. Then they will die. 
and their corpses will be everywhere because the numbers of the Yajan Majuj is also coming shortly is phenomenal. This is a race or a tribe or a group of human beings that is massive in number. And basically there will be corpses everywhere. So that Esau will make dua and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will send birds to pick up those corpses and take them to Allah knows best. Right? That's not mentioned, but they will be picked up and taken off. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will send rain. The rain will come and will purify the earth and then the vegetation and the greenery will grow again. Then for a time being, right, the mu'mineen will live in peace over all of the earth. Right? Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will send a breeze. This is all coming in the same, this very long hadith in Sayyid Muslim. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will send a breeze, a soft breeze to take the souls of those mu'mineen. And those mu'mineen will pass away. Right? And there will have been a few bad people left. Allah Khualim, what these people are, maybe there's some bad people that Yajin Mujib didn't reach, maybe there's some segment group of them that is left over, they will be the only ones that will be left on earth, and the Day of Judgment will come over them. There's another hadith in Muslim, that the Day of Judgment will not come, as long as there's a person who says, Allah, Allah. Right? This hadith has been used for many things, right? Also used for the recitation of the Isma Azam, Isma Jalala, Isma Zad, Allah. Also here is being mentioned as a kanaya that the Day of Judgment will not come as long as there is somebody who is remembering Allah. In other words, there is a mu'min. So this is how Allah Ta'ala will create such a situation that there are not many left. That's why then these two ayahs now, understanding from the hadith, we see the complete rupt. Right after mentioning the release of Yajan Majuja, immediately Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala says, now look at this verse, uh, verse number 99, that on that Day of Judgment, right, we will leave them all, all of them, Yajin Majujur may include because they're also human beings. They will also be there on the Day of Judgment. And they will surge over one another, the horn shall be blown. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will order the angel Israfil to blow some type of instrument, horn, trumpet, whatever you want to call it, and then we shall gather, right? That all of humanity will be gathered together, everybody will be taken out of their graves. And then these people who are left, they were the horn caught them alive, they will be assembled as well. And on that day we will bring Jahannam. Now why the Tazkirah of Jahannam here? Right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is actually addressing those mushrikeen uh, and those Yahud who ask these questions and again now after having received the answer yet again, they're still not believing. Right? So the notion here is that also there must be some level of the story of Zulkarnain presented in the scriptures of the Jews. Whether that's still there in their current Torah, Allah I don't know. But somebody could go and look up their Torah and see if there's some story like that. Or perhaps this is something that has been taken out as part of the process of corrupting their scriptures. Then Allah Panta says in the Day of Judgment, one way that Allah Ta'ala is going to punish people immediately in the Day of Judgment, the unbelievers, right? And the Kafir is that He's going to bring Jahannam in front of them. He's going to show them that this is where you're going. But not that quickly. There's going to be a whole process through Yom al Qiyamah that you have to go through. But to instill... Right, a part of their punishment is that it will come fully exposed but in front of the kafirin. Who are these people now? How is Allah Ta'ala describing? It's fascinating. Ka kanat That they are such people who eyes whose eyes were shrouded against my dhikr. Right? What does this mean? Right? And that's why the translator chosen to use reminders that their eyes were veiled. For example, the kuffar, what's the biggest thing their eyes were veiled from? Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa himself. They were seeing him. The mushrikeen of Mecca, the Jews of Medina. They saw him. But their eyes were veiled against that reminder, the ultimate sign of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, which was Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. People whose eyes were shrouded and they were veiled. 
They were not able to listen. Doesn't mean they could hear. They could hear, but they could not grasp. They could not listen. They could not submit. They could not do proper sama of what the Prophet was telling them. Do then the disbelievers deem it fit that they take my servants as patrons beside me? Right? Who is it? Allah who who is meant here by Allah Taala's ibad? Right? But the notion here is some level, some type of shirk. That rather than accepting Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they are willing to take uh, something. We prepared Jahannam as a place, really, right? Uh, Nuzullah really means a place where they will descend, right? Uh, we have prepared Jahannam as a place where the kuffar will descend. Now about the Yajan Majuj and this notion of Jahannam, another reason this is being mentioned, is in Bukhari, the Prophet said that Yajan Majuj are of such large numbers that they will not be counted. And another day in Bukhari, the Prophet said that Allah subhanahu wa in the Day of Judgment will tell Adam salam that separate from all of your bunny Adam from the humans, those who are going to Jahannam and those who are going into Jannah, and out of 1,000, Adam will put 999 designated for Jahannam and one designated for Jannah. So then the Hadith continues that the Sahaba said, Ya Rasulullah, only one out of 1,000. And the Prophet said that, yes, know the good tidings that the one is yourselves, and the 999 are Yaj and So the notion here, we get several things. Number one, that they are from Bani Adam. Sahih Bukhari is clear, clearly mentioning that they are human beings because they are from the Bani Adam who were separated in such a way. Number two, that they are massively abundant in number. Right? And that they are also going to be a place of Jahannam. So the notion is that you're asking about the story, unbelievers of Makkah Makkah, know that these people, Yaj they are also unbelievers. And unless you accept this, you are also going to be with them. Or it might be a mention here that there might be some people who try to join the Yajan Majud, some evil people at that time, or some evil people who joined the Jal. Allah Right? Say, shall we tell you now, the story of Dhulkarnain is finished. Right? The story of Dhulkarnain is finished over here. And now from uh, 103 onward, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is generally mentioning. And you have this word khasara. Right, khasirin. So Allah Subhanahu wa Taala uses this intensive word, akhsirin, the people of the most khasara. So now Allah Subhanahu wa Taala says, should we tell you? Should we inform you of those who were the most greatest losers in respect of their amal? They're the ones whose effort in the dunya, in the hayat and dunya, their sa'ya, their effort, their struggle, right, has gone in vain. Dalla, it's gone to waste, right? And yahsabun anhum yuhsinuna suna. However, they think that they have done incredibly wonderful deeds. Right? Why is that? Well, okay, there's some type of people who completely deny Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There are other people who associate partners with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And there are yet others who are not proper believers, but they try to commit deeds. It can be two types. One is spiritual deeds. So they come up with their own ways of worship, new age spirituality, all types of things that they think themselves are that they're doing husn sunnah, that they're doing beautiful things. And I'm doing this beautiful way of yoga. I have this beautiful way of reaching out and connecting to my aura and my energy and my inner key and myself and bringing Reiki to Pakistan and all of this stuff, right? And they think they're doing husna sunnah, that they're doing wonderful things. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that they're, complete, they're in complete khusr. They're in complete loss. It may also refer to people who do things for the sake of the dunya. So their actions might be good, they might help someone, but they don't do so for the sake of Allah. And so that action of theirs is also, in terms of the dunya, Allah will reward them for that in this dunya. So anybody who doesn't believe in Allah, but commits an act of good and virtue, 
will be rewarded by Allah for that in this dunya. Perhaps through health, perhaps through wealth, perhaps through children, perhaps through some type of ease in their life. But in the akhirah, those, all their actions are in vain. And this is something that uh, in Bukhari, Sayyidina Abu Hurairah, the narrative of the Prophet said that many people on the Day of Judgment will be walking around that bazaar, they will be healthy. And they will be looked like they're fit and they're in solid strength. But they will have, they will have no weight in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They will not even have the weight of the wing of a mosquito in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's eyes. In the law, they will have no value. Right? And that is the notion why? Because everything they did went through waste. Right? Who are those people? They're the ones who reject in the ayat of their Rabb. Right? And وَلِقَائِهِ And they rejected the meeting with him means they rejected the yawm al-akhir, they rejected the akhirah, they rejected resurrection, they rejected life after death. So their deeds have gone to waste because if they, whatever they did, they don't believe in Allah, they don't believe they're going to meet him. So whatever good they did, they didn't do it for his sake. Or whatever spiritual worship they did in their own way, they were doing it for themselves. So if their own intention was that they're doing it for themselves, or for quote-unquote a secular humanist concept of good, then why should they be rewarded for that in any way by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on the Day of Judgment? They rejected the signs of Allah, they rejected the meaning of Allah, so their deeds have gone to waste. فَحَبِتَتْ أَعْمَالُهُمْ They did do a'mal. فَحَبِتَتْ They've gone to nothing. And we shall assign to them, فَلَا نُقِيمُ لَهُمْ يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ وَزْنَ That on that day when our actions will be put on the mizan. Allah SWT is saying they will not have any weight. They will be nullified. You can understand this simply if you use science. Weight equals mass times gravity. So they have mass. They did do things. But the gravitational force will be zero. <laughs> Iman is the gravitational force. You can look at it like this, that weight equals mass times gravity. Weight equals the wasn, the value of that amal in the eyes of Allah SWT. Mass is the amal itself. And gravity is the kuwa to iman. The person who had lots of taqwa and did something, that same salah of his will be worth so much as a person to a person like us who maybe had a small gravitational force of iman. Our salah will be less. Mass is the same. Same two rakats. Mass is the constant. But what's different between people is g is the force of their iman. Now a person who has no iman, g equals zero. So you tell me if w equals mg and g equals zero. w equals zero no matter what m is. Right? We have our PhDs in math sitting here, right? W equals M times zero. M can be a billion dollars in charity. You multiply it by zero, it will have what type of weight on the mizan? Zero. That's all Allah SWT is saying. Very simple. You didn't need Einstein <laughs> to figure this out. Yet Allah is making it very clear that there's a difference between mass and a difference between weight. And that is something. And in that day, it's, it's your iman. Lack of iman, rejecting the signs of Allah, lack of that niyyah, right? Let me explain this to you here through another verse, if this lets me do... Let's see, trying to make advantage of this, yes. So now if you want to do tafsir al-Qur'an bil-Qur'an, surah number 7, surah al-Araf, وَالْوَزْنُ يَوْمَ إِذِنُ الْحَقِّ On that day the wazan is haq, the mizan will be haq, Right? And as for those whose scales are heavy, they will be the successful ones. But those whose scales are light, they are the ones who have brought the same thing. Khasiru, the khasara. And where does the khusr come to? On the anfusim, on their own selves. Right? And what is that? Because they did zulm with the ayat. So their verse was that they didn't believe in the ayat. Here's another thing that can affect your power or your gravitational iman on that day. 
not that you disbelieve, but you do zulm on the ayat. You maybe do not respect them, you do not follow them, you do not fully believe in them. You do not study them according to the Qur'an and the sunnah. You randomly just study them on your own way, coming up with your own meanings. You did zulm on those ayat. Doing zulm on the ayat of Allah can be verses of the Qur'an al-Karim. It can also be signs. It's a, it's a word that includes both. Here it's been translated as verses. That is going to affect the weight of our uh, deeds on that day. Right? Then, another place in the Qur'an al-Karim, if you move, scroll down to Surah Ibrahim, verse number 18. What happens? مَثَلُ كَفَرُوا بِرَبِّهِمْ The likeness of those who disbelieve in their Rabb. أَعْمَالُهُمْ Their أَعْمَالُ Their actions. كَرَّمَادٍ اشْتَدَّتْ That they will be like just fluttering, just like ashes, drops, things that are just blown away by the wind on a stormy day. أَشْتَدَّتْ بِهِرْرِيهُ فِي يَوْمٍ آصِفْ Right? Asif. <laughs> Asif. Stormy day. <laughs> Yomin Asif, a stormy day. He says, nothing. They're, they have no value. They're ephemeral. Whereas the a'mal done by a person of iman is tos, is pakka, has weight. Will have massive weight on the Yom Akiyama. Maybe one amal done with ikhlas will totally tilt the balances in our favor. Will totally weigh the scale down. Right? They will not be able to gain anything out of what they did. That is the farthest point, right? لا يقدرون مما كسبوا They will not get any qadr, not get any value. مما كسبوا From that which they committed. على شيئا on any way. ذلك هو الظلال البعيد This is the most manifest, the most distant way of becoming astray from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So you have this notion in several places in the Qur'an al-Karim. So getting back to where we were, which was Surah Kaf, and we had reached, I believe, 103. Uh, Yes, right? That is their punishment, the Jahannam. For they disbelieved, right? So first of all, their, all their amal will come to nothing. The jaza will be Jahannam. Bima kafaru due to their disbelief. ayati huzuwa That they took my ayat, the Qur'an al-Karim, and my prophets. Oh, again, mushrikeen of Makkah and Jews of Medina, you're having fun with my prophets, Salam. You're plotting one of what questions to ask. You ask him a question, I reveal to the verses, you still disbelieve. You've made a mockery of this. You made a mockery of my ayat. You make a mockery of my nabi. Now then when we think, now now pluck this ayat out of its context. And look at ourselves. How much do we make a mockery of the Qur'an al-Kareem? How much do we make a mockery of the sunnah of nabi al-Kareem? If we are people who are doing that mockery, well then we have a sifat of the kuffar in us. So we should be very careful and make sure that we don't have any huzl. We don't have any mockery. We don't belittle or demean or diminute. Right? And this happens in the days in Pakistan. You go and tell somebody something that is sunnah. Abba sunnati. That's mockery. Sunnat hi hai. That's mockery. It means that sunnah, that's trivial. That has no value. When you say sunnat hi hai, it means sunnat, that has no value to me. Devaluing the sunnah, that's what people do. That's making a mockery of the Prophet ﷺ, mockery of his deen, mockery of Allah subhanahu because he said in the Qur'an al-Kareem, لَكَدْ كَانَ لَكُمْ فِي رَسُولُ اللَّهِ أُسْوَةٌ حَسَنًا That verily you have in you and the Prophet ﷺ a noble, a hasan uswa. And this person is saying, I don't view it as hasan. <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, it's not beautiful. It's just something you guys, it's for you guys to do. No, 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 no. So be very careful never to make a mockery. If a person is unable to do something, be honest. Say, no, that is the most beautiful way. I'm nakis. I'm deficient, I'm lazy, I'm sust. Ye sunnat hai, waqi ye baat azim hai. Don't say sunnat hai. 
اچھا سنت ہے اس کی عظمت کی کوئی انتہا نہیں ہے بس میری کمی کوتاہی کہ میں ابھی تک اس پر پورا نہیں آ سکا آپ میرے لیے دعا کریں کہ میں اس پہ پورا آ جاؤں رائٹ آیات او وٹ اٹ
that they will live there forever and they will be so content. <laughs> there never even will come to them the wish to leave. Not only will they be there for eternally, but it's not that they're going to be forcefully there for eternally, they will be there happily. They will be so happy there that they will never even conceive of going somewhere else. Right? They will never even desire to move one segment away. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ends with these famous two ayat in the Quran al-Kareem. Right? Which is, and this is many times these ayat are recited in Salah, so many of you would have heard this, right? And we've already played it with the Qirat of Imam Sadeh. That tell my Prophet Sallallahu the ultimate. Tell them now about Allah. We've told them the story. We've told them about the sifat of the kuffar. We've told them the punishment of the kuffar. We've also given them the glad tidings. So stories, warnings, jahannam, enticements, glad tidings, jannah. But tell them something about my shan. That's the ultimate dawah. Surah Kaf is going to end on the ultimate dawah, which is the shan of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Present my shan, my shokat, my azmat in front of them. And if that doesn't work, then it's so nothing else. There can be no greater da'wah than the shan of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So know that if all, if the ocean, behr, right? Midanam nikalimati, rabbi. If it, all of the waters of the oceans were to be made ink, right? For the words of my Lord, then the oceans would be exhausted, right? Lanafid al behr would be exhausted, finished, depleted. Kabla an banfada kalimati, rabbi. Before the words of my Lord could be exhausted. It means that you want to ask. You want to challenge and see what ilm Allah has about these things of the ashab kaf or of the Dulkarnain. Oh, Allah Ta'ala's ilm is infinite. You want to go that route, Allah can fill pages and pages and all the pages and all the ink would never be even to be a drop of the ilm of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Even if we were to bring another ocean, I mean this is Allah Ta'ala's indaz, if we were to bring another set of oceans like it, right? And similarly, another very famous verse I've just showed you very quickly over here. The same pattern. The same thing. Right? If all of the trees on earth were made into pens, right? And then the same thing, that the oceans, right? And they were supported by seven seas. Seven more, sevenfold, or multiple fold. Seven can mean any fold, many fold, infinitely many fold, right? مَا نَفِدَ الْكَلِمَاتُ اللَّهِ إِنَّ اللَّهَ أَزِيزٌ حَكِيمٌ That the words of Allah Taala will never be exhausted, will never be finished, will never be depleted. Verily Allah Taala is Aziz and Hakim. He is Almighty and All-Wise. So another place in the Qur'an Al-Karim where Allah Taala mentions this. Finally, the last verse of Surah Kaf. Right? And this is where Allah Taala amazingly, after mentioning His Sham, Another way he mentions his shan is to tell the Prophet ﷺ, to tell these people that that is Allah, I'm just a human like yourself. Don't look at, even if you're trying to test me with these questions, whatever I'm getting, I'm getting it from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So don't, right, you're not, I'm not inviting you to worship me, that you should be testing me. I'm inviting you to worship Allah. I'm inviting you to iman billah, right? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells the Prophet ﷺ, say, that innama ana basharum mithlukum. That verily I am a basher. And some people also have this debate, right, that is about some basher is he newer. Both words have been used for him. In the Quran, this word basher has been used for him. How can you deny that he's basher when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not just declaring it? He's making the Prophet himself declare, Ana basher, that I'm a basher. And certainly the hadith mentioned the nur of the Prophet, that's his ruh. His ruh was all nur. But he also, just like every human being, is muraqqab. 
You are a composite from a ruh and a jism, from a spirit, soul, and a physical body. So the Prophet is the same way. But he is also human. Matalakum, he used to eat, he used to rest, right? Yuha ilayya. That, huh? One thing I have is I'm the recipient of wahi. I get wahi. Wahi is revealed to me, right? And what is it? The innama ilahukum ilahum wahid. That know that your Lord, O humanity, is one God. That your God is one God. The essence, the ending is in the essence of Tawheed. Right? And the Tawheed demands that even the, the Rasulullah is mentioned in Anabasha. So the previous verse, verse number 109, the shan of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And 110, the message, what is the shan, an amazing being of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, what, what is that message supposed to give you? The feeling you're supposed to get in your heart is pure Tawheed. And to even go further, Allah Ta'ala is even asking His beloved Messenger some to state that I'm just a human being, right? That your Lord is just one Lord. فَمَنْ كَانَ يَرْجُوا لِقَاءَ رَبِّي That person who yearns, desires, loves to meet their Lord, is crazy about Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala, wishes to meet Him. فَلْيَعْمَلْ أَمَلًا صَالِحًا He better do good deeds, so that he can meet his Lord in the good. So it's not enough to just be feel-good spiritual Sufi. No. فَلْيَعْمَلْ أَمَلًا صَالِحًا and wallahi yushrik bi ibadati rabbihi ahada and should not ascribe any partners in the worship of his lord this is the way surah kaf ends alhamdulillah rabbil alamin this is a surah that the fazilat of which is linked to yawm al juma and just the coincidence with the fazl of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala we were able to end it today on yawm al juma prior to salatul asr may allah ta'ala accept the recitation of surah al kaf the listening of surah al kaf may he adorn us and endow us not just with these ma'ani and mafat and these tafasir, but may He make our hearts submit to each and every lesson, each and every hikmah of this verse, so that this Surah Al-Kaf is written onto our heart and becomes a part of each and every aspect of our understanding, each and every aspect of our amal. Wa akhirul da'wana. Alhamdulillah.